You're listening to the Modern Producer Podcast, expert talk on livestock housing and animal husbandry. Get ready for today's episode. Hello again, or now that we have Canadians on with us, uh, good day, eh? Uh, welcome to the Modern Producer Podcast. We got uh, uh, Chet Mogler here with us again, and uh, uh, my brother Kevin and Dwayne Morrow um, uh, calling in from uh, our Canadian or our Manitoba office. Uh, figured we'd have a. You're accusing uh, us of uh, just phoning this one in. Yeah, you're just phoning it in, aren't you? Well, let's see if we yeah. can actually make. Yeah, we this got a little in. lazy. <laughs> Um, we're going to focus a little bit today on just some, uh, I don't know if cutting edge is the right word to use, but it's maybe at least uh, sets the tone uh, technologies that are um, things that we'd like to see, things that we'd like to, or that we know about, things that aren't widely implemented but could very well be uh, coming for the future on uh, uh, different ideas where we could take some, uh, some tech that's relatively new or ideas that are uh, relatively new and, and how they apply and how we can use them in uh, livestock housing. Um, one of the one of the big things that I've been focusing on a, a bit lately because we've seen some uh, negative aspects of, of of when it isn't done right is is LED lights. Now it's pretty much LEDs are. Uh, almost overnight as, as it were have become the default choice for uh, for lighting in in almost any facility uh, they did get economically viable about uh, three years ago and that's where they started to be widely implemented I know we have seen some issues with uh, with just using any old LED um, Kevin you and Duane have tried to explain a bit of the technology of how LEDs actually work uh, why don't uh, why don't you Duane give us a actual uh, science lesson on what LEDs are and, and and why they can be good or why they might not be good I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Duane speak in a second I just want to start with uh, first it's just listening to you even it's very common that's what we hear um, Everyone just calls it an LED without understanding. It's, it's oh, actually I've even heard a lot of people say, you know, those LED lights, right? <laughs> and, and everybody knows them. Everybody just assumes it's another bulb you're screwing into a, a socket, and away we go. Let's start with defining the fact that LED is just short or an acronym for uh, light emitting diode. Okay, so understanding what that is is actually the first part of understanding any of this. Uh, Dwayne and I can both laugh about the fact that that back in the day when we first got started on electronics, an LED was nothing, and we still exist uh, in that form, but it was nothing more than a little red indicator light. Um, and, and now we have them lighting all, all kinds of things. So, yeah, the technology's come a long way, but the first step, understand, LED is not LED. It is light-emitting diode, which that's a great point for Dwayne to come in and go, all right, what does that actually mean? Hey, a light-emitting diode is uh, a diode in the first place is a DC device that allows currents to only flow in one direction. So basically, a a one-way valve for electricity. That's exactly it. That sure. was how it was originally developed. Was for just a valve for electricity. Uh, now it has become a, a light source. Uh, the, the problem with it being a light source driven by an AC application is that we have to rectify the AC back to DC as LED lights do not function on AC voltage. They okay. are a DC component. And so just going to dumb it down here again a second. AC, DC, AC is, well, that's not the band it's, here. It's a band. Yeah, it's no. AC is, <laughs> yeah. AC is alternating current and, and DC is direct current. What that really means is everything everything running any commercial, residential, your entire grid system is alternating current with a with a sine wave. And then DC being direct current is can be more uh, uh, visualized by just a straight line. Yeah. Here's a here's a um, quick just a, a dummy kind of question. How in the world does a diode create light? Like what what is there what is the actual science behind it that actually makes a diode generate uh, light in the first place? Or or it's actually where you are actually seeing the electrons flow across two substrates of material is actually what we're seeing. 
Uh, it's actually more of a plasma generating light than than anything. Well, that sounds cool. Wow, does, that didn't does, dumb it down at all. <laughs> that made it hard to yeah. I still don't get it, but okay, it sounded cool. Is, yeah. is it the heat as it's as it's blocking voltage? What is what is it, actually it, causing that actually, energy? It's actually seeing the plasma develop between two pieces of material. Is what we're seeing. Okay. So those are two semiconductor pieces of material. As we send electrons across those two pieces of material. We, we then see the lights emitted from the plasma. Gotcha. Okay, it actually does make a bit of sense now. Um, so, so now back to what you were saying about rectifying the voltage uh, to uh, basically convert AC back to DC. Um, I know the lights got a lot cheaper in the last few years, and that's is that primarily because they've found a better way to build a light or, or just a cheaper way? Uh, rectification... Uh processes have uh, determined uh, a lot of the cost. Um, keep in mind when the when a LED light is a cheaper light, you have to question how it was rectified from AC back to DC. Uh, there's two ways to rectify. We have a half-wave rectification and a full-wave rectification. Now when we rectify half wave on 60 hertz to a, an LED light, technically that light will be flickering at a frequency of 60 hertz as well. Okay. When we have a full wave rectification, that is now we're taking the full sine wave of the AC voltage, rectifying it, which will give us a max frequency of 120 hertz. Now, key thing with all the LED lights, they will flicker to the frequency that's being fed. So, ideally, in order to have a light without any flicker, we would have to have zero or a, a true DC feed to that lab, which is not really possible through regular rectification. Uh, is that now? now you stop ask, is that half wave or full wave? You're saying that no matter which type of rectification, it's still going to flicker. Yes. Just yes. At half rate. wave, we are going to flicker at 60 hertz, and at full wave, we're going to flicker at 120 hertz. That's basically 60 or 120 times a second. Yes. Sure. So now yes. there is there is a known if you do a true DC supply, then you're saying that if if, it, if there's no rectification so much as just a total conversion to DC, is that different than rectification uh, and, and therefore wouldn't cause a flicker? Yes. And when we talk about a true DC conversion, we are not only rectifying it, we're actually inverting the, the, the voltage. So we're, we're completely inverting the voltage from an AC to a DC uh, with a combination of rectification and uh, different electronic components to smooth the ripple to a true DC source. Okay. <clears throat> so layman terms, as far as components, you've got rectifiers or, or you've got um, inverter. Yeah. An inverter will give you a true DC. It uses other components within there, one of them being an inverter, but a straight-up inverter Yes, every meter that you hook up or anything like that, you're going to see a DC voltage, but it is technically still flickering on and off. Yes, yes, and that and you can have flicker right up to 400 hertz, which will look like a DC signal, but it's still a true AC at that point. Okay. DC, a true DC, really only comes from a battery okay. or a generator. Gotcha. So still fairly technical, but I think I actually understand a little bit better now. So, so the question is, um, has anybody, and, and, and Chet can jump in here too, uh, I, I know we've seen it quite a bit even in, in, in livestock facilities, hog and turkey barns, there is this flickering light that you can pretty much record. If you take, it with, uh, take a recording with a slow motion camera, you can see that flicker rate. Um, is anybody familiar with any kind of studies that are being done of, is this good, bad, or otherwise? when the lights are flickering just just fast enough that are we can't see it with our eyes but 
Well, that's, yeah. you, you actually can. Um, I'll let Dwayne cover this, but it's a it's a great reference that the fact that you like you say any anybody's smartphone, you take a slow mo video, and you'll see it. But there's another way to actually see it um, in a barn specifically. So yeah, within a, a barn, uh, say we have a variable fan, you know, running a little slower than uh, than our full speed. Uh, the flicker of the light will actually change the, uh, the way that we can see frame rates. So if we're looking at a fan spinning uh, and you have LED lights flickering, it'll actually look like that blade is turning backwards from the direction that it's truly turning or turning slower than it actually looks like it's turning. And that, that, that has to do with the strobe effect. Okay, okay. And that's, so if you have a... a it's kind of like the old wagon wheels in the old movies that look like they were turning backwards. The same thing where it's just a exactly strobe that. effect. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it is, and, it and is something is, to visualize. That is something that we can see. So now the question is, is, is there any science to tell us is this good, bad, or otherwise? The fact that the lights are flickering at a rate that's almost visible to the human eye. I'm not familiar with any, I'm, to be honest. I'm not aware of any. Um, actually, think back. I think that was actually you and I, Tim, had this conversation a few years back when when the transition from incandescence to they were pushing us real hard on on CFLs, uh, which I would never like that technology. But LED was still it was available, but just way too expensive. But yet it was starting to take off. And and I don't know if you remember this them talking about how they could build, they were looking at building sensors into some of these light fixtures and being able to change lighting moods in schools and whatever, if they notice the students getting sleepy, sure. um, things like that, that they were looking at, at doing. But honestly, I don't know if that was all just a what if, or if it actually went anywhere. I haven't really seen or read any kind of scientific information on what LED lighting has done because it's it's so widely implemented throughout every single workplace, hospital, school, residential area, street lighting. It's everywhere. It's in the front of your vehicle already. That one would be a true DC, obviously, uh, so not an issue that way. But um, no, I, I honestly can't say as I've come across anybody even thinking or looking at it. So, I mean, kind of in that in that vein of things, is there? I mean, uh, we have talked in the past about using various sensors and and visual camera type and even non-visual but more thermal type uh, sensing, and then we may, might get into that later here today. But is there any thought that we could implement an LED that is? Let's let's take it back down to the barn level. Is there a way we could implement sensors? The ca cameras are sorry, um, LEDs or lights in general have the one great advantage that they're over top of everything therefore they're a real good place to get a visual of a room is there a way we can start looking at well what kind of sensor technology can we incorporate into a fixture that might actually be useful yeah i think you'd have to uh you'd really have to get down to the the the, the research level first um there's no point in changing something if you don't know what the result is going to be, right? At the same time, that's exactly what research is supposed to do, right? Sure. I, I wouldn't ever recommend us, us just throwing something out there and saying this is what the result will be without some true testing. Just in my gut and, and, and experience, you got to say that if we are cycling these lights at a rate that, that our, our human eye can already start to perceive it, there there has to be an effect what that effect is um i don't know but obviously the, and, and then you go down to the pig level they're very similar to us uh in, in so many ways i'd have to again just by by simple assumption say there is an effect now what that effect is I, i'd love to know i'd love somebody to, to to truly look into this um and if they have and somebody knows of that that's listening to this, let us know because it's, it's sure. not necessarily widely available if there is that knowledge out there. Well, one would assume that we'd probably uh, not get it in the current um, price that we're paying for LEDs if that technology exists 
or even knowledge about how to make it better or how to use it better, I'm guessing that uh, maybe would start to make LEDs less financially attractive again. Um, so it's, it's something we're going to have to look into. Um, but <clears throat> and as far as LED, LEDs go, are we pretty much uh, going to have to say that f for better or for worse, it's what we've got and it's what guys will be using, whether, whether it's a good idea or not? I think I've seen. I think for the future. Go ahead. I think for the future, I think LED light it will be probably the future of lighting. Um, the energy efficiency of the lights is there, to make it feasible for the future. I think we just have to become better at rectifying power to drive them properly, and not that they have to be driven in a true DC state, but I do believe that we have to be up above the two hundred. Earth's range just to get it outside of the, the, the spectrum that, uh, that we can perceive any sort of flicker. Sure. And uh, so, where, so where did you get that 200 goofy, goofy Hertz question, range? Blaine. Sorry, I did this goofy question going back to my, my basic science in school. We're lit naturally by the sun and light in itself is a waveform. Correct? Correct. Yeah. So that would be able to be comparable to a, a cycle rate, for example. That's that's all a waveform is, is a cycle rate, right? Yes. So anybody have any clue what the sun cycles at? Not a clue. That's a good question. Because would that not be a great indication that that's probably, maybe it's not an achievable level, I, don't, I really don't know, but it would at least give you a reference point going, if the sun is cycling at thousands of hertz um, compared to if it's only at a couple hundred hertz. I, I don't know what that, that wave of natural light actually is. It'd be something to do exactly what you're doing in Google. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> so, so, somebody's on their phone right now, I'm sure, just looking it up. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. and here's the thing. Um, and, oh, and I've got it here in front of me. Uh, cosmic octave sun tone is 126.22 hertz. Again, that was Jeff pulling it up on his one two six point two two is the first answer he hertz, found. Not kilohertz or anything. Uh, did it say hertz or kilohertz? Let me pull it up here again. Of course, it's the in, it's on the internet, so it must be true. Um, well, of course, Abraham Lincoln said it. We found it by punching <laughs> it into Google. We all got the same answer, therefore, it's true. Yes, yes. Um, it says hertz one hundred twenty six point. To two two hertz. Uh, there's all kinds of math on that. I have no idea what it means. Um, so we'll have well, to. Well, that's interesting because that's that's only six hertz above uh, a full wave rectifier. Okay. Right. So we're we're talking five percent faster cycle rate. If that's an accurate number, that's only five percent higher than a true wave rectifier. Right, right. And one would assume it has to be relatively a, a low hertz rate because otherwise you wouldn't get that effect of even wheels out in the sunlight looking like they're spinning backwards or slower. If it was, mm -hmm. a, if it was a rapid pulse or a much more rapid pulse than that, it wouldn't have that strobe effect. Or one would assume right. it would. Let's follow this down another small rabbit trail. Incandescent lighting, which is almost non-existent anymore, but one of the things that we'd be able to easily compare to realistically that was a filament that heated and then therefore emitted light it glowed yeah it glowed but that would have had the same cycle rate as um, it would have had rectifier because it, your tungsten didn't cool to the tungsten didn't cool in between so that took that out of there yeah right right okay. and and when you use a cfl you're energizing gas which doesn't pulse either because it doesn't de-energize yeah. so quickly so. And so those two technologies wouldn't have had the cycle rate that we've seen with, with LEDs, where it's a true on-off. Right. Um, yeah. So no, that just jumped in my mind as we're talking, going, if, we're, if we want to if we want to look at a reference without doing a pile of research, I think we can safely assume that the sun has powered the earth long enough that it's probably a safe form of light. Or, yeah, um, one would think that if, so, if that, that has been good so far, it's probably a good point of reference. So. Okay, Dwayne, Dwayne Googled something different than you did. Uh, show me what, tell them what you're showing me here, Dwayne. Uh, the solar flux of the sun is 2,800 megahertz. 
I have no idea what that means in, 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 in layman's terms. I know what megahertz is, but uh, um, what does that mean? Let's just say a little little faster than 226. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, super fast, yeah. Well, it's 2,800 times 1,000. I get it. Actually, no, times megahertz is not 1,000. Mega. Yeah, so what's mega? It's nope. not 1,000. Kilo is 1,000. That's a million. million. Oh, okay, so that's pretty fast. I get it. So, 2.8 2. Oh, trillion. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like, so yeah, a little, come, little fast. How come you found one answer and uh, <laughs> and here the internet lied to us again? Um, still, what, yeah, like, okay. I think the internet was giving you a small portion of the total solar. Solar fluxes the total solar energy emitted. Of course, that makes perfect sense now. <laughs> I have no clue. Um, but okay, so we're gonna have, obviously we're going to have to learn. I, I've, I've warned you, don't send him too deep down a rabbit hole. You may not like where it leads. <laughs> yeah. well, I can't find my way back out is the problem. Um, yeah. Have a good eye. So long and short, I think it wrapped up the LED conversation in one aspect is we need to know more and we don't even know what we don't know yet. That's unfortunate. Um, In general, I'd like to see somebody actually not just ask the questions, but start delving into what are the answers? How how do we respond? How do animals respond? How can we get better at it? And you guys don't do as many turkey barns or poultry in general up in Canada. But I, I can almost assuredly say that I'm seeing a negative effect in barns, and, and it's not just me, but some of the guys that are using these barns have seen a, uh, a, a definite well, I don't, negative on, on shift. Poultry, yeah, on poultry, uh, I don't see how you wouldn't see a, a change and more than likely to the negative effect. That's uh, we, we all are aware that, that, that birds see and absorb and react to, to light wave forms and uh, never mind just the, the cycling of it, but the different spectrums, they perceive light in a way different way than, than we as humans. And, and again, just making an assumption since there's so many other sim- biological similarities between uh, humans and pigs, uh, I'd assume we're close on the, the visual and, and optic side of it as well, but yeah, poultry, We've known that for years they can do spectrum control and change their their moods and move them around and honestly with the 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 right evil genius behind it you can flicker lights and kill an entire flock of birds so um, yeah I, I can't imagine that uh, LED has been great for the poultry industry to be honest well I mean we've we've seen even in uh, <clears throat> in years past there's been reports put out from uh, even cities that have converted their street lights to uh, LEDs some of the early adopters of that uh, technology have seen a negative effect on the wildlife uh, population primarily the birds uh, there's reports probably going back four or five years ago where where um, certain cities were saying that they noticed that they had a lot more dead birds laying around after they switched to LED streetlights. Um, somewhat anecdotal there. I don't remember the um, the exact report, but I, uh, but it's not an invalid thought in, in general that we need to we need to know more because we don't seem to know enough about it. Um, let's uh, let's move on. To kind hey, of, just just uh, no, real quick. We've uh, we've had Mr. Dwayne doing some real quick searching and now i've done some real quick reading uh <laughs> which means there you're now an expert out there. <laughs> <laughs> now i'm an expert yeah well, just a couple of quick points out of this um stuff like we have already discussed because we're working with our generated power every light source is subject to flickering obviously at different rates and and all the rest um bringing it back down to that of course it's because of the type of power we use uh, but this is a an interesting line here that that out of this one study says that humans find it difficult to directly sense light fl- flickering at these higher frequencies which they're they're referencing anything from 70 to 160 hertz at this point right uh, however it says although we're able to uh, not sense these it hardly seems to matter Scientists have conducted research that indicates the human retina is able to resolve this light flickering at 100 to 150, even if you're unaware of it, right? Which leads to the conclusion the brain is reacting. The brain is making corrections for what it's being fed, right? So 
again, there's an effect. I won't go through the remainder of the article, but there is starting obviously to be some research through this to go. How is these, how is these flickering lights truly affecting us um, on a, on a physiological and biological level? Simply because, uh, yeah, they referenced earlier in there, unless you're exposed to natural sunlight, you will be exposed to flicker, which means, yeah, the, the higher rate that, that Dwayne had probably is accurate to the point where we will never sense that rate of flicker, 2.8 uh, trillion hertz. That's that's pretty quick, right? <laughs> so, no but, yeah, there is some research. We'll have that. to look more into it. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to kind of turn a turn to a different side here. I get bring Chet in a little bit more on this because uh, he said he wanted to bring it up, but some uh, uh, different way we want to try and push uh, technologies uh, in general, or at least have the discussion is 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 an advanced way of ventilating rather than uh, just a na- the normal way that everybody does. Is I just take a temperature and say this is the temperature I want. I have a minimum amount of air I need to move, and I'll try and regulate my barn quality or air quality on on temperature uh, almost exclusively. Um, so, what what are some ways? Even Chet, how are you looking at it? That you'd like to see uh, the the envelope get pushed in terms of starting to improve? Yeah, I guess. Um, so, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, I, lo- I love the mechanics of how how uh, barns work um, and um, seeing, you know, that primarily temperature sensors is, is the primary input source uh, off of which most ventilation occurs. Um, how many other variables are there that, that we need to take into consideration? Um, I guess looking at my own experiences in, in power ventilating um, hog barns, uh, you know, humidity is, is a, a huge factor and, um, you know, minimum, minimum ventilation, you know, you can set minimum ventilation for, for humidity, but, um, there's different levels of humidity coming in, uh, to the barn and you can have different rates of respiration based on, uh, the activity of the pigs. Um, and then, and so making adjustments. So I think, you know, as as technology gets better how do we factor in uh making adjustments to the ventilation considering uh relative humidity um the other the other aspect that i see is important especially in in nurseries and and farrowing rooms specifically is is the uh, airspeed um and so mixing that air that you're bringing in um above the pigs and getting it tempered before it, it falls um, to their, to their level so that you're not chilling piglets, um, and, uh, wean, weanlings is it is a huge, huge, uh, thing. It can change the health of the pig, um, dramatically. And so, um, the way that we are utilizing or monitoring airspeed is, is through static pressure, um, sensors. And so making adjustments to, to maintain proper, um, static pressure, proper airspeed. So you're, you're mixing properly. Um, and so taking all three of those into consideration and just learning how do you need to tweak, how do you adjust as we advance into more technological controllers that we can, we can program and, and, uh, make more adjustments where there's a lot of unknowns as to how do you, how do you consider all those factors? It's uh, <clears throat> maybe something I'll need to to uh, just uh, show at some point. Uh, working with pigs, you won't have seen it all, but the turkey or the poultry controllers in general uh, can almost cover that plus a lot more. Uh, it just never really t- technically ever been incorporated into general hog controllers. But we're watching a lot of places we have... Um, uh, barns that have uh, CO2 sensors incorporated. They have humidity for inside and out so that you regulate on on what you can do based on what's actually outside in terms of humidity, not just what's inside. There's barns, um, uh, dull sensors to give them a little plug, have some of the best sensors for this out there uh, where we can uh, watch also hu- um, <clears throat> excuse me, ammonia levels on top of everything. So we're now, and I think there's even, correct me if I'm wrong, there might even be something I'm forgetting, but it's not just so much about temperature, but how is our, what is our oxygen levels? And, and oxygen isn't 
as easy to measure, which is why the default measuring is typically CO2 rather than oxygen. Uh, the the un unfortunate part is, is that there really is very limited options that I've seen ever for bringing all of these sensors into a hog barn. I don't know if you've seen differences up there, Kevin or Duane, on different controllers. I know the technology exists. It just typically isn't applied on the hog side, is it? No, and, and it's it's not that this technology hasn't even existed for some time. It's just the reality of the economics of it. Um, number one, the, the, the digital purchase uh, price of any types of those sensors, it's extreme. We're talking less than for a, a temperature sensor, and, and I can go upwards of a few thousand dollars for any one of these other sensors. So it's it's sheer economics. Um, the the second part of it is these sensors are not necessarily, again, designed to last in a uh, hog barn environment. Um, so the last thing you want to be able to do is, is convince a guy here, here's a $3,000 sensor, and I'll see you in six months when you need another one. Right, uh, it's just not feasible, yeah. right? You probably wouldn't but, see uh, it again if you I did, did I that. just want to back up here a, a step, guys. Um, as as Chet was was talking and listing all these things that he'd like to look at and and the different factors and how they'd affect. The, the nice part about this kind of a conversation is, it is all science, it is all math, and it has not and will not change. Okay, the laws of physics are called the laws for a reason, right? Air has mass. As we change its temperature, its mass changes. Relative humidity, everyone, everyone references humidity with very few people I've run into actually understanding what relative humidity means. It's the relative part of it is exactly it because there's an absolute humidity, but no one talks about it. It's relative humidity. And what, what it's relative to is the temperature of the air, right? So I believe the math is, I'd have to double check this one, but Basically, for every 20 degrees Fahrenheit, air warms up. It can hold twice as much water. Okay, so when you're talking about being 80% relative humidity at 50 degrees, when you warm that same amount of air up to 70 degrees, sorry, what was my first number? I think, I ch I think Chet wants a, he wants a correct math. Chet's, Chet's got the better math than you here. Uh, the number yeah. I've heard, it's for every, four, every 14 degrees, you double the water holding capacity. Every, Every 14, 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. So, so. Great. So in that example, at, at 50 degrees and, and 80% relative humidity, you understand when you warm that air up to, to uh, now 64, you're actually that same stuff is down to 40% relative humidity, right? So wrapping your mind around that is, is also key. If you're looking at a cooler, wetter, damper time of year, it's not that you can't dry out your barn right the spring and fall type of thing if we're if we're hovering in the the I'll, and i'll continue to speak in in the american uh one if you're hovering in the in the high 30s low 40s something like that and it's 80 90 relative humidity it is a cold damp day outside but you bring that air into your barn bring it up to your 70 degrees you're suddenly able to bring your humidity level down right however the challenge again becomes you can only bring a certain volume of it before you've brought the temperature in the room down. So they're in the whole saying of you can only try out a barn using heat, right? That, that's why that's that factor, right? Um, again, the other stuff that you're monitoring, again, is all science because it's measured in parts per million. It is actually relative to nothing other than how many particles of each type of, of element are currently existing in that block of air, right? So this this almost gets easier, although it is still difficult because you have to be able to read, monitor, and therefore control off of it better. But it, it does become easier because it is a proven science, right? It's all mathematical after that. That, that is what, you're right, what makes ventilation a, a little bit of a, a more consistent uh, something that you work with because the laws of physics don't change um uh, science doesn't right. doesn't change we're not it's not like an led where it's a total new technology it's it's we're working with essentially physics uh, we keep saying that but it's essentially we're not changing how how things respond we're not we you, you don't invent a new way to make air uh move because it's going to do it the way it's designed to do it 
Um, it's it's the, right. the key is is understanding it and 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 then using as much equipment or uh, technology as you can to actually regulate it. And that's I think where the technology advance, advancements would really come in, is is bringing more of those um, sensors in an economical fashion into each individual room. And I know right now <clears throat> the ammonia is the bad one. The ammonia's uh, in terms of. Um, uh, cost-wise, the ammonia is the hard one to justify the cost on. Uh, so CO2 sensors were down in the range of cost-wise of um, uh, humidity sensors, which would put them in the same range as uh, most pressure sensors. So you can look at those sensors. They're quite durable, and they're in the $300 range. I think the ammonia one right. is still... And that, the ammonia one is still a service item. It, you can't just use it for 10 years and still expect it to work. It has cartridges and filters that you have to change every few years. The ammonia one's the one right. that makes little economic sense right now. Yeah, but you can, again, because it's all science and math, realistically, if you look at, you know, basing it on temperature, which is what most have done, that it's almost temperature should be a secondary factor. It's it's important. We don't want to chill animals, as, as Chet was saying. But really, if, if you can control the humidity and CO2 levels, and maintain temperature, I can pretty much guarantee you, you have controlled your ammonia levels. You don't really need to know them. They are being controlled by association, right? So you, you don't necessarily need that $3,000 sensor other than to prove to that you've already been doing it using the other factors. So I guess that's, this is just where I, where I come in as I, I, I have been playing with a lot of these, um, you know, most specifically static pressure. Um, for airspeed as well as, as humidity. And, and I just, you know, I've had, um, a relative amount of, of success with it more or less. I just don't know who to bounce off of my ideas with who else is working on this. It's interesting that, um, Tim stating that the Turkey, um, or the, uh, the bird industry is, has more knowledge of this. And maybe that's, that's where I need to, uh, uh, work some parameters, but I just, um, you know, as, as we look at pigs um, and and pushing for less antibiotic use and and things like that, I mean, if if you screw up ventilation in a barn, um, you can lose lose several thousand dollars worth of pigs in over, overnight or over a weekend, and and so it's like we're, we're going to worry about having to purchase three hundred dollars sensor when um, you know you lost three pigs and that paid for that sensor, and so I guess I just want to challenge the status quo of of, of temperature covers it all. Um, because yeah. the reality of the matter is, is if you have to medicate a barn, um, you'll spend several thousand dollars on medication and have several thousand dollars of mortalities. Like I said, over, over a weekend, um, because something wasn't right. And so I guess it's something that the industry, as we continue to improve, especially around antibiotic use and, and environment and stuff, um, we need to incorporate the technologies um, that that are out there, um, and and continue to challenge you know uh, equipment manufacturers to to produce a sensor that can hold up in a, in a swine barn environment. Sure, and then and really, I think if we were to cover those 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 sensors that are are economical, and I would say that a sensor like a humidity sensor or a CO two sensor in the three hundred dollar range give or take that's already an economical decision and if you cover co2 and you cover humidity and temperature like kevin says you get those things right you can put in a monitor for your ammonia but you're going to be in line with where you should be with with that uh, with the ammonia levels uh, so i think it is getting to the point where um the technology is there already i don't i can't speak for every individual uh, type of ventilation controller, but but I think there is already options out there. Um, some we sell, and some maybe we don't sell, but options that would allow you to to cover most of those aspects. I guess just the next thing is not just uh, having it available, but having the buy-in then from the people who are actually going to use it in an understanding. Uh, the challenge will be uh, not not everybody is as good as you chat at actually running a barn it's actually then the education side of things of actually teaching guys how to actually use what they're paying for 
and, uh, and that that might be a bigger challenge in convincing them too. Not that people can't learn; it's that that's maybe not everybody's gift. Uh, so there might be the bigger challenge will be the education of the user uh, rather than actually getting them to buy it in the first place. Well, and that's where I think understanding, you know, equipment companies understanding um, more on on what are the parameters. What are the base parameters in which we should set this equipment up and, and what are the adjust, you know, how much do we need to increase ventilation if, if um, you know, if humidity is too high and, and uh, you know, just understanding the parameters in which to begin to operate um, and, and, and having a base, base knowledge there. So let, let me ask you, Duane, uh, you're probably the best to answer this. At what point do we actually... Um, uh, start thinking about AI being uh, a part of our uh, um, barn controllers. I, yeah, AI probably would take uh, a lot of the guesswork out of it, allow the computer to make the decisions to what it has to do. Um, I don't believe that AI at this point is capable of doing that, due to the fact that AI in a barn I don't think has even been thought about at this point. Well, AI in the um, barn has been thought of, but in a totally different yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. AI in this industry means something very different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I'm just. Is, no, are, like, are we yeah. close, or are we even? Is that even something that let's say, let's just look out ten years, doing like ten years from now? We I mean, we look back ten years. Kevin just did a blog on that uh, not so long ago, um, and the, and so much has changed. Are we going to see uh, even more dramatic changes ten years from now that we're not even really expecting? See, uh, or or even uh, the stuff that doesn't even exist today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 10 years from now, Tim, is actually a scary thought. Uh, no, spending a lot of time reading about AI. AI is here. It's here to stay. Uh, and with the development of Neuralink, which will allow basically us to be a direct link to our smart devices. Um, yeah, there's no que- question that eventually we will be able to plug ourselves into the barn and be one with the barn in a sense. That's, that's, um, that's. Yeah, you are starting to scare me. Yeah, you're, you're, you'll, you'll you're, have to um, excuse me. I'm going to go out and purchase a piece of land in the middle of the mountains. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Neural Link is only about six months away from the last thing I was reading. So, and with Neural Link, that would allow a direct connection to our smart devices. Uh, okay. Science has proven that the, uh, the narrow, the uh, bottleneck, between us and our devices is our fingers. Which which is cannot the, communicate fast enough. Which pill do I want to take, the red one or the blue one? Then. <laughs> so so I, the AI in talking about this, I actually know a company that's um, utilizing AI or beginning to develop the AI to um, uh, um, assess or to make predictions on um, diagnosis on postmortems on pigs. So as they open up the pig, um, uh, mortality and, and are taking pictures of the, uh, you know, lungs and heart and colon and stuff like that. Um, they're having vets, um, you know, assess the pictures and give a diagnosis diagnosis and beginning to factor AI into, into those photographs. And so, um, for me, it, it's it's you know it's beginning to be used in the pig industry. The problem with uh, utilizing AI on mortalities is it's too late. Yeah, pig, pigs <laughs> the pig is dead. dead. Yeah, and so that's where you know I think it's a it's a great opportunity to begin. You know, yeah, it, it, the controller is there twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. If if it can have optimum ventilation all the time, I mean, the opportunities of of you know of good health and piglets, I think is, is huge. Well, let's, let's bring in something else then that we've talked <clears throat> talked about in the past and it's a really big deal in, in, in so many ways is the, is the camera technologies and the recognition levels that we can start looking at facial recognition on pigs themselves. Is there, is there a thought that we should be uh, looking at incorporating visual or optical sensing in in terms of saying okay the pigs are huddling or the pigs are are spread out too much and start using that as a point of reference for controlling our ventilation levels or our heating levels for instance 
where is the camera technology the, these days and how, how are we going to incorporate it? Camera technology in itself is, is I'm sure, ready for it. Um, it's the algorithms analyzing that feed from the camera that is in development, right? Um, just to tie in real quick here, something else, you know, you got the far-flung AI, where are we going, but also back to what is available today and the, the, the path forward. Can you reference earlier on the ventilation side how the, the poultry industry tends to be a bit um, more in, in corporate of, of these 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 other factors, right? Looking at humidity and, and all that for, for quite some time. It's something there. Part of that to me is, is because not only are the birds affected a little bit quicker, but also the turnover, if you, not necessarily in turkeys, but if you look at... Uh, you're able to turn over a flock of, of broiler birds every month. You know, your, your payback on investment and, and therefore also your loss on investment if something goes wrong is, is way quicker than in a pig barn. Sure. Um, so the, the economics were there to drive that industry ahead a little bit quicker. But, you know, we've already started to, and, and you've seen that as well, Tim, we're, we're using the same technology and scales that has been used in, in poultry for years as a health monitor they're just finally starting to incorporate that into to hog barns going, let's, let's capture daily average gain, you know, weight data points and be able to go, not just am I growing properly in feed trial? That's, that's where most of the hog industry is still at, but I'm looking at that going, you use that exact same thing. You don't change it at all, but you use it to be a, a health monitor. Um, every poultry guy will tell you that, he would not be without a scale. Everyone would tell you that they don't want to be without a water meter because they'll see their water consumption change and know that there's a health issue coming long before he can see it, right? So you take those simple factors and start looking at them. You add the camera to look at activity. It doesn't even have to be facial recognition level stuff individually on a pig, but but start to recognize huddling versus chasing around, tail biting activity, whatever you want to truly look at. You're actually a lot of those, like you, you were saying, Chet, a lot of those health issues are going to come back down to your environment, your ventilation. Absolutely. But change in water quality, change in feed quality can also be factors. Uh, a, a general bug flu coming through that, that, that you had no control over. You know, the reaction in these pigs can probably be recognized long before any of us, any good stockman would ever truly identify. And I think that's where you can go with a lot of this real quick is recognizing the change in activity or water or feed consumption or growth or a combination thereof, that's your red flag. Right. And I think that's actually, it almost brings us back down to, we come down to it every time when we start talking about technology. And even though we said we're going to discuss emerging and pushing the envelope type technologies, it still comes back down to, you can do so much of this just with data. You collect information about these animals in some form or fashion. The link that's typically missing right now, all of the hardware is available to collect collect information. And what we are lacking right now is translating millions of points of data into a usable dashboard. I think that's I think yeah. it's, it's coming back down to no matter how many times we, we circle this thing, that's where we come back down to is we need companies that are starting to engage more with how do we take these millions of points and display it to you so that you can actually make a, uh, a decision about what's happening. The problem is a little bit is the people who work in that field, um, you know, who work in those programming fields and those software development fields. Um, it's a lot sexier to work for Google and Microsoft and Uber and companies like that before they're going to come work for a, um, a, a, a pig guy. Yeah, yeah. A pig equipment company. Pig, pig Hill doesn't have a guy on staff already. I thought you guys were that advanced. <laughs> working on it <laughs> so, so um, and has anybody ever given a thought you were saying that you know we're, we're basing everything off the temperature sensor we do have blur technology that we can use that same camera to also determine temperature throughout the room you're talking forward we're not just infrared camera technology yeah just yeah yeah yeah, and at that point, we could see air at the ceiling, air at the floor, air in the corner, air in the middle. Pig body temperature. And pig body temperature. 
So is that, is that good enough to incorporate? Again, that, that technology is finished. Analyzing the data it feeds you is not. Yeah. Hmm. Another, another case where AI would be an efficiency within the barn to, to do something with all the data being collected, for sure. So that's, I never even thought of that. I know we've talked about uh, these uh, infrared cameras before, but the thought that you could actually use it as a, as a more advanced probe for room conditions, that's actually kind of, that's kind of exciting that you, I never even thought of it that way, but that, that, that would incorporate. <laughs> Maybe I should have thrown that out there. <laughs> yeah, well, Maybe you should. Just, <laughs> but, but now we're going to ask you to finish it up for next week and yeah, we'll start working yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's hurry up and develop. <laughs> but you're, you're seeing more and more of that FLIR technology being used every day, even uh, out in Saskatchewan, one of the barns I was working at, they're using uh, FLIR to determine electrical issues within the barn before really? they become a real issue. In terms they of temperature? Conduits, they can see Okay. Hmm. Looking for any heating points, right? So it, it, it can be a very basic thing. It sounds huge picture too much but like you said you, you, you if you if you truly look at it it's still just collection of data points analyzing those data points is not impossible right obviously yeah i could throw all those temperatures up in front of you chet or one of your employees and if you paid someone to sit there and watch it all day they probably could make some very good decisions based on it but that's not an efficient way to approach it it has to be and always I say it has to be an automated process. I never want to get to this is this is language I've I've used for years and still stress. There's a difference between automated and automatic, right? And and we need to automate and get that processing power there. Automatic is not necessarily where I would see it going because that gives the people the impression they don't need to be there anymore. At the end of the day, someone still needs to be providing the oversight, but some of these decisions certainly can be automated without you having to analyze it and then decide for yourself, do I open the inlets more or do I close them? That, that should be an automated process. Exactly. So just to maybe start wrapping it up here, <clears throat> we've, we've hit on a whole number of topics. Is there something that I'm not thinking of in terms of technology that we, that we need to either uh, save for a different podcast uh, and, and tease everybody with, or are we kind of covering it pretty well? Well, you've got, you've got two factors left in the barn that <clears throat> we haven't addressed. And, yeah, they probably could be uh, <laughs> left for another day. But you think about it, we've, we've covered the environment and, and behavioral kind of things a whole lot. But what else have you got? You're, you're putting input into the front of that animal every day. You're feeding your water. And if you could start really monitoring water quality and and maybe feed quality slash feed intake, um, you're going to get a whole lot of information out of that as well or be able to, again, address a problem before it truly becomes a problem, right? So it's environment is key, there's no question, but but you're also you're feeding something into the front every day. I think people underrate the value or, or the, the need to truly know what that is as well. Yeah, I guess a lot of people monitor water intake, but nobody's ever thought about monitoring actual water quality hour by hour right <clears throat> well yeah we'll save that one for a different day i think that's uh I'm, i don't even know what i don't know on that one yet so right well let's uh let's wrap it up then we can uh we can call it a day on this uh tech podcast and uh and uh we'll come up with some more next time i appreciate everybody being here uh chet kevin Dwayne, uh you guys all take care thanks tim you too thank you